mortifying the old me. Colossians chapter 3. Now, uh, Colossians chapter 3. You would think that once a person gets saved, once they get born again, they would never, ever want to do anything that they used to do that they discovered was wrong and sinful and wicked and evil. You would think that once you got saved, you'd never want to sin. But we do. You know, sin comes naturally. (laughs) You don't even have to think about it. You don't even have to want to sin for you to actually end up sinning. It's our nature to sin. Colossians chapter 3. It is our nature to sin. What is the nature of a dog? To bark? To, you know, do his business behind the couch, you know? What's the nature of a cat? Evil. Yeah. And, and you know, they, that's their nature. You can't take the bark out of a dog, okay? You can't take the hairball out of a cat. I mean, there's just, there's a nature to each of God's creation, our nature, because of Adam, is to sin. Never forget that, because people think that, oh, I'm going to one day, in this life, I'm going to arise above my sin. No, you won't. No, you won't. Not unless you learn how to mortify it. Now, unless we see, you're in Colossians chapter 3, look down to verse 24, unless we see what we're missing by continuing in our sin, we will continue in that sin. And that sin will only grow in us. It never stops and, and hesitates. It's like a weed. It grows, and one day we will reap for all the wrong things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 24 says this. says, Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance as a child of God, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Also, verse 25, But he, Christian, he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. For there is no respect of persons. So here's a Christian who says, I'm a Christian. You know, I I can't be getting in trouble. Of course you can get in trouble because you still sin. You still reap what you sow. So what is a Christian to do with this my nature? I don't bark. I don't, you know, I don't, um, you know, uh, go out at night and and, uh, uh, swing like Spider-Man, you know, from the, you know, different creatures have different natures. What do I do with my old nature? First of all, we've got to ask a, great, a very important question. What is your old nature? Now, with, without even thinking, you need, to, you need to get it in your mind. Without too deep of a thought, it's what you are naturally. The Bible calls, them, calls us, when, uh, 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 the unsaved part of us, it calls us the natural man. It's what you do without even thinking. As soon as you get home, as soon as you get in the car, do you start complaining? That's the old you. As soon as you get home, do you sit down and have, have you know, uh, uh, a meal out of the fridge? You've already eaten two hours ago, but you're going to eat again. That's your old nature. If that's what you've always done, that's you, okay? Now, we each have different characteristics of our old nature, but what you do without even thinking, what you say without thinking, how you say it, the way you think, you look out of the clouds, you go, oh. Irish weather. That's awful. That is, that is a way of thinking that you just, if it's sunny, what does everybody do? Oh, it's so hot. If it's raining, oh, Irish weather. You can't be happy ever because of the old nature. The old nature is the way we live. It's our culture. And unless, unless the way we speak, unless the way we think, unless the way we live is like Jesus lived, it is wrong. Period. Period. And Jesus is the example of the perfect man. You're in Colossians. Go back to a few pages to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of who? The Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the example of a perfect life, a perfect man. Now, you may not think you're doing anything wrong, but that's because you're comparing yourself among other people, comparing yourself with what you may have been used to be like. 
Uh, but there's something in you, but if there is something in you that is unlike Jesus Christ, let this mind be in you, what was in Christ Jesus. If there is something in you that's unlike his way of speaking, his way of forgiving, then it is wrong and needs to be specifically and precisely dealt with, like a, like a surgeon, okay? So this evening, I want to learn what we're to do with that old nature. As a matter of fact, we're only going to learn, I'm only going to define some terms we're going to be finished because it, it's too big a thought for us to just try to delve through all tonight. So I'm just going to define some terms and get some background here going on how a Christian can end up just like that even though he's saved. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, please open our hearts to your word tonight. Help us not to think of anyone else but ourselves. Help us to heed the word of God and be doers of it. Because there is a battle. There's a battle first in our mind whether we even need to do this. But oh, how we need to mortify the flesh. I wish it was all done and dusted. I wish I didn't have the old me to struggle with, but I'm still around (laughs) And the old me is my biggest enemy. Would you please help me to know what to do with me? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Colossians chapter 3, the first five verses. And then we'll make some statements by way of background. So to help you understand what we're dealing with, where the battle lies. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Hey, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are what? Wow. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life now, when he shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So then he starts verse 5, mortify therefore. If you are resurrected, if you have been born again, seek those things that are above. Set your affection on things above. Uh, Realize you're dead and mortify things that are upon the earth. And then he goes on with what those are. Let's talk about the background here. First of all, he starts with a big question and he gives a very big challenge. What's his big question? If, if you are saved. You know, not everybody who claims to be saved is. One of the coldest uh, realizations one day will be religious people who were devout, who knew the Bible, who prayed a prayer, who, who thought they had everything right, who was doing everything precisely, but they never got born again. They never came to God as a sinner and just cried out for salvation. They never got saved believing in what only and what all Jesus did. They just kept trying themselves to be good, kept trying themselves to have everything right, and one day they're going to wake up to the cold, hot reality, they're in hell. So don't say, well, I've been going to this church, well, I've been reading my Bible, I've been, you can say that all day long. If you are saved, then you can get into this verse and you can deal with what we're going to talk about. But don't even try to deal with sin in your life until you're saved. A lot of people try to be good. Well, I've got my sin under control. You know, you can be a better person than me. You can live uh, cleaner. You can, can do more giving and still end up in hell. If you're risen with Christ, it'll show by where your heart is. It'll show what your thinking's about. And it'll show whether you're receptive to this message. Because you will crave the desire to be rid of this. Take your Bible. Turn to Philippians. This isn't in my notes, but it just came to me here. Philippians. And I'm telling you, I left my Bible at home. I I couldn't even find my jacket this afternoon. And this thing was written for a microscope, man. Uh, Let's see. There we are. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians 3, 20. Brother Dan, would you read that? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. Amen. Yes, sir. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Wow. You know, what does Paul see of himself? He says, God's going to change this vile old nature, this vile body, and make it like his one day. Perfect. So this is 
Uh, I could. That'd be sweet, man. Hey, there are words on that page, not blurs. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, if you are born again, if you crave this, then we're off to a good start. Okay? Now, secondly, so the big challenge then in verse 5 is what? What's the big word there? Mortify. Now, we're going to talk about that. The big challenge is if you're saved, then you'll want to do this. It will never be easy, but you'll want to. God calls us believers to do an extraordinary thing, to mortify our old, natural way of living. It may not even be, as far as other people think, it may not be vile and wicked. It may not be, you may not be going drinking and drunk and falling down the street, but you know, compared, comparing my life to Jesus Christ, I look at my life, and if it doesn't match up, I ought to want to mortify it. And we're going to learn what that means in a few minutes, okay? Really going to develop that. Um, and, and by the way, um, uh, we want to replace it with a new way of living. I just don't want to get rid of things. The old Catholic way would say, sell all you have and just live in poverty. No, 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 no. God didn't ask us to, to, to just, you know, give up everything and to sacrifice and suffer and let, let the Pope be, uh, be rich. But um, when, whatever, you, whatever you give up, you must replace with something that's better. So, uh, and, it's, and it's, it's the Christian life. So anyway, I want to say this. God does not ask us to modify our old life. Oh, I just need to adjust my thinking. No, you need to mortify it and get a whole new way of thinking. You need to mortify your eyes. You need to mortify your heart. You need to mortify the members of your life that keep getting you in trouble. Jesus was really, can I be plain for a minute? Jesus was so brutally, uh, not just precise, but so brutally um, aggressive. He said, if your right hand is causing you to sin, what should you do with it? Wow. Now, I hope you don't have that bad of a problem that you have to just cut off your hand. But that's mortifying. That's saying, if that thing's going to keep me from getting to heaven, if that thing's going to keep me from living to God, I cut it off. Now, that applies to all kinds of things. If you've got an old friend that keeps sending you texts and keeps dragging you down, some toxic relationship that keeps defiling your thoughts and keeps pulling you away from God, cut it off. Cut it off. So uh, God calls us to do something that ain't easy. Okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 14. We'll come back here to Colossians in a little bit. Luke chapter 14 in verse 25. I hear a bunch of amens, but you better make sure the amens are about your own life. Luke chapter 14, because it is not easy when you start looking at your life and go, I got a lot to work on. I have a huge amount of cutting that needs to happen. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. There went out great multitudes with Jesus, with him following him, and he turned and he said unto them, if any man will come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife. I'm in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Verse 26, uh, uh, verse 27, sorry. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that, and he replaces the word hate with the word forsake, which means anything in your life that is holding you back from following Jesus Christ, you're going to have to what? What's the word there in verse 33? Forsake, abandon, cut it off. That's not easy, is it? No, all of those people you're supposed to love, amen? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your own life. You're supposed to love all that. But when any of that is, is holding you back from God. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. This is the disciples' commitment. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said unto them all, by the way, that all means you and me too. He said unto them all, if any man will come after me, 
Let him, two words, what are they? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let him deny himself. You know what that means? Ignore yourself. You may have a need, but if that need gets bigger than what God is asking you to do, you ignore your need, you do what God says. Now, God doesn't always ask you to do that. But sometimes God may speak to your heart and say, I'd like to spend some time with you. Instead of you feeding your face, I'd like you to pray. It's called fasting. And you deny yourself so that you spend time with God for a little while. You may only have to fast one meal. Maybe it'll be a whole, year, a whole day. Don't go a whole year. A whole day. But, but the idea is, am I willing to deny myself for God? Uh, one more, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5, 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness. Now, all these things are filthy imaginations, filthy words. When he's talking about filthiness, he's not talking about dirt under the fingernail. You understand that, right? I'm in chapter 5, verse 4 now. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. What's foolish talking? Talking like a fool. Talking like a fool? Should Christians talk like fools? The fool says there's no God. You don't want to talk like that. Nor foolish talking, uh, nor jesting. That's making fun of everything. That's what people sit down and they watch all these comedians making fun of everything. Christians, just, just step back from all that stuff and just realize jesting's not that good. It's okay to have fun. As a matter of fact, it's best thing to laugh at yourself, okay? I find very few people be able to do it. But uh, nor foolish jesting, keep it going. Uh, I'm in the verse there, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So all of those things i got to deal with, all those things you got to deal with, right? Uh, now let me make a statement here. Third point in the background. Sin is in every one of us. It's in absolutely every one of you. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Romans seven fifteen. I hope you learned something tonight. Listen to Paul. He says this, For that which I do, hmm, I allow not. <laughs> I won't let anybody else do. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, if I do that which I would not, I consent in the law that is good, is good for me to tell me what not to do. Now then, if that's true, then it is no more I that do sin, but Sin that dwelleth in me, for I know that in me, that is in my what? The flesh. What's another word for the flesh? The old you, the inner man, the hidden man. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, the will, to will is present with me. I, I know what I want to do, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Uh, for the good that I would do, sorry, for the good that I would, I do not. And the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. I know these are real choppy words, but this is how Paul talked. I'd say it this way. Now, if I do those things that I don't want to do, it is no more I that do it then, but sin that dwelleth where? Mark chapter 7 now. Mark 7. So there is a pull, it's like a magnet, or it's like metal to a magnet. I've got temptation over there, and it's like a magnet, and there's metal in me that just, I just got to do it. And, and you say, now that I'm saved, why do I still want to do this? Why do I still feed on it, and, 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 and why do I still think about it? Uh, Mark chapter 7 and verse 20. Mark 7, 20 to 23. Jesus, he said that that which cometh out of the man, that does what to the man? It ruins us. Wait a minute. What comes out is not what comes in. It's what comes out of us. 
For from within, out of the heart, proceed what? They're already in there. Adulteries, already in there. Fornications, murders, already in there. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye that started in the heart. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So in other words, what are you understanding? Sin is already in every one of us, okay? That's our old man. That's our old nature. There's good news. You ready? We can mortify it. Bible says mortify, therefore. If you are born again for the first time in your life, you actually can get victory over those things that keep propping up. Not by willpower. Did you remember there in Romans chapter 7? Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. So it's not willpower. Your willpower won't work. (laughs) It is by faith. Go to Romans 6. Do you you want to know what's amazing about mortifying the flesh? You already did it. There was a day, there was an hour, there was a time, there was a place where you got born again and you crucified the old you. You did it. You actually took the old you and you gave it to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ gave you a new you. So you already know that you can do it. You just got to every day make the choice. Lord, that old me's back up again. <laughs> He's a zombie. No matter how much I, I, I try to deal with him, he keeps coming up again. Amen. Mortify him again. Mortifying is not a one-time event. The other word for mortification, I'll, I'll deal with the other word, and maybe that'll help you understand it. It's called sanctification. How many of you took a bath this morning or a shower? How many of you took a shower? Come on, everybody better raise their hands. <laughs> Guess what? It's what you're going to have to do tomorrow. Take another one. I hope you do. Take another one. Or maybe you take one at night. I don't know. The point is, you get out in life, you get dirty. All you have to do is just, man, you don't have to go looking for sin. It's just like a, like a car passing by in the rain. Splash. You just, you just, something you see, something you hear. Something happens in your life and memories start coming up. Things start going through your head and you're just defiled again. You're going to have to mortify those things. You say, I thought they were dead. Kill it again. And again and again and again. We can mortify our old nature. Romans 6 and verse 6. You already done it when you got saved. You just got to done it again. Romans, I got to get there. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, what is it? Our old man, I just wanted to focus on the old man there. Our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin one day might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You say, why do I serve sin? Well, God's goal is for you not to serve sin. But I, I guarantee if I had you raise your hands, I'd say, how many of this week found yourself the servant of some bad thought, some bad attitude, some, some bad words, some, some, some bad actions? You'd say, I was the slave. I did whatever I was told to do. I was doing the lusts of another spirit, not the spirit of Christ. Every one of us raise our hand, amen? So we should not serve but when you got saved, it was the first time that you've been free so that you don't have to serve and become a slave to sin. Galatians 5. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. Galatians 5, 24. <clears throat> How do you know you're saved, Brother Ledbetter? I fight sin and I have victories. I deal with them in my life. I mortify them, and I constantly have to mortify them. That's a mark of Christianity. You say, but you still struggle. Yeah, but at least I struggle. Amen. Too many Christians, or too many people act like Christians, but they never fight the good fight. They never wrestle. They never uh, mortify. And mortify is a strong word. We're going to find it here. But it's not like just, oh boy, I I choose now not to sin. I wish it was easy to choose not to sin. I may choose not to sin, but sin still chooses me. It's still present in me, and it still wants the preeminence. Let's keep going. 
uh, Romans, I'm sorry, Galatians 5.24. They that are Christ's, hey, there was a day where you have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Didn't you do that when you got saved? You said, God, I give you me. I, I die right now. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just, I just, I just want to be saved. That's dying. And that's how you got the new birth. So you've already done it. You can mortify your old nature because you already did it one time when you got saved. It's time where you get used to doing it regularly. And it's accomplished by yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life instead of the spirit of the world. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Romans 8. I should have you guys be reading. I apologize. Gavin, in that wonderful singing voice of yours, would you read Romans 8, 13? I heard you were a wonderful singing voice. Romans 8, 13. All right, so this is not a done deal. Just because you're saved doesn't mean everything's great. Salvation has changed your destiny, but it hasn't fixed all the wrong things in your life. One of these days, you're going to meet Mrs. Wright. Just pray her first name is not always. Okay? You got it? All right. One day, you're going to meet Mrs. Wright. And when you do, oh, you're just going to love, and she's going to love you, and it's going to be happily ever after. No, you're going to bring some baggage into the relationship, aren't you? And you're going to have to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't talk like this anymore. i got to do things differently. And when we got saved, we brought some baggage in there, and the Lord's trying to change it. We talked about this morning. It's called chastening. It's called chipping away. But i got to participate in that process. That, and it's a spiritual process by the Spirit. If ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So, uh, uh, it's impossible to do on your own, by the way. You can sit there and pray all day long, but until you say, Lord, whatever you ask me to give up, whatever you ask me to say, whatever you ask me to stop saying, whatever you ask me to, to give up, I'm willing to do it. Until you're willing to yield to that surgeon's hand of the Holy Spirit in your life. Until you're willing to yield to that, you're not going to be able to mortify the works of the flesh. Now, Christ is not asking you to kill yourself. When we're talking about mortifying the old me, it's not, all right, give me a knife. All right, here we go. What is it? Hairy uh, kairi or whatever the, the Japanese call it, you know? No, 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 we're not talking about that. All right? Uh, it's yielding to pressure. How many of you, when you were kids, I told you a couple of times where my friends talked me into being evil Knievel. Some of the old folks in here knows what that is. Where they says, Hey, look, here's a, here's a ravine, here's a gully, here's a gap. Craig, we'll put up this board. Why don't you ride your bike over and kill yourself? Now, they didn't add that last part, but that's what they meant. And they, with a little bit of encouragement, talked me into nearly breaking my neck, and I broke my bike, by the way. You know, we know how to give in to peer pressure. We need to learn to give in to his pressure, to the gentle touch and push and nudge of the Holy Spirit. So, let's talk about the meaning of just two phrases here. The first one is the flesh and the meaning of mortifying, so that we can set this thing. All right, once I understand these things, then I can put in place the process of mortifying a long list of troubles in our life. First of all, the flesh. Okay, the flesh. Sounds like a good mo- zombie movie, you know? The night of the living flesh, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it is really true. Go to Colossians chapter 3 now. We're going to go to a couple of different scriptures here. Kathy, if you'll read Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm talking about the old you. Colossians 3 verse 9. Nita, you'll have Ephesians 4, 22. Colossians 3, 9. Wow, so what's he called? The old man. Kathy, you got an old man. I know, I know you're a young lady, but you have an old man living in you. <laughs> and and it's, it's just the old you. Uh, go to Ephesians, Nita, Ephesians 4.22.
Nope. Yeah, but what? Wait, wait, the way I'm reading it doesn't read that way. Say it again. That's 22. Yeah, I'm on 24. Forgive me. Keep going. Good. So here, the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt. So this is this old man, the old means go Romans 6, 6 again. Uh, Leo, if you don't mind, we were just there, but Romans 6, 6. Amen. So this old man, I, we're talking, again, each time we're talking about the old me. What you're looking at is the old me. On the outside, that's Craig Ledbetter. Just for, for 53 years, this is who I am, okay? That's the old me. It's not what I want to be. Thank God it's not what I used to be. But the old me is what God's talking about that needs to be mortified. Now, <clears throat> we're talking about the phys- we start with just the idea of the physical you. And uh, it's your heart, your lungs, your brain, the stomach, your legs, your reproductive organs, all the chemicals and fluids pumping around inside of us are you. That's you. I don't, I don't see chemicals and fluids and stuff, but they're in you, and they're as much a part of you. And, you know, this is why addiction becomes sin, because it activates and it works in that realm underneath the skin, doesn't it? You start taking a cigarette. Somebody's 14 years old and they get over the green face and they get, they get through all of the choking and all of a sudden all 600 of those chemicals that get activated when you smoke and you smoke and you smoke, what happens? It chemically addicts itself to you, doesn't it? That's, it's attaching the addiction to the old you. It's not addicted to your new you. It's addicted to the chemical process. It's addicted to the brain. It's addicted to the bloodstream. You, 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 you know, the, uh, when you're cold, remember when you were unsaved and you were smoking? What'd you do when you were cold? You smoked a cigarette and it warmed you up. It chemically affected you. So when the Bible talks about the old you, he's talking about what I'm looking at, what you're looking at. He's also referring to your nature. Your nature. What you do without thinking, what your mind loves. If I if I ask Dan, you know I'm not going to, but if I ask Dan without any forewarning, what's your favorite dinner? Just whatever he naturally says. That's his nature, right? If I, you know, if Johan was here and I said, Johan, what do you like to eat? What would you think he'd say? Steak. Okay, that's his nature. Okay, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's without even thinking. That's what he would respond with. And and. Um, Modern TV knows what our old man likes. That's why you sit down and they show those stupid ads because they know people will buy it. They know our old nature. It's your normal way of doing things. You sleep in, you wait till the last two minutes before you have to get up and get down the stairs and get dressed and get out the door for school. I hope not. But that's, that's, He's, I'm, I'm just saying, I, don't, I hope that's not how you do it, but if that's how you are, if that's what you normally do every morning, then that is your old man. See, I just can't get up in the morning. Your old man can't, but believe me, your new man ought to be craving to get up and spend time with God before you have to deal with stress and all the problems of the day. So your flesh is the normal way. You say, what is the flesh? It's when I'm, I just want to go strangle somebody. That's not the flesh. The flesh is what you do without even thinking. That's what you are and what you do. And the way you find out, is it good or bad, you compare. Is it like how Jesus lived? Is it how he responded, how he reacted, how he thought? It's your normal ways of doing things. It is your culture. You don't know how many times I'm told, and we have a very culturally diverse church, amen? But you know what's so amazing about our church being so culturally different? 
For years, I had people say, they go, that's just not our culture. We just don't do things like that. Now, I like watching over the last few years, a lot of people going, I don't want my old culture. I want this kind of culture. I want a Bible-centered culture. I want a hymn-singing culture. I want a Christ-honoring, not a me-honoring culture. Amen? Because a lot of people, they go to church because it's about them. And that's their culture. And they all, and the, 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 up north, it's the hats, isn't it? I mean, the derbies and the flare hats of the women. And it, that's their culture. That's the flesh. That's the old man. And it's not all evil. I'm not saying that. But you got to look at it. Some people say, you know, um, uh, well, that's, I just didn't grow up with church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I don't care whether you did or not. The new man craves to be under preaching. The new man craves to be with the people of God. Your old man, they want to be at home. <laughs> That's the old man. <laughs> By the way, every six-year-old has an old man. Hmm? Every two-year-old does too. Uh, he just doesn't, doesn't know it yet. Um, so it, our culture, somebody, let's go back to Ireland 50 years ago. Culture of this place, religious arrogance. I'm Catholic. I don't, go away. Go, go, go back to America. <laughs> That's culture. Now you've got intelligent arrogance. I'm an atheist. Go away. Go away. It's culture. And you know what? If they're going to get saved, they're going to have to mortify that culture and get into a Bible-believing church and put up with a long-winded preacher. Amen. Amen. So the flesh is that culture, that, that way that you grew up. You need to, and I need to inventory everything in our heart that is not like Christ's and go, that's the old me. And then you don't want to get rid of it. So let's go now to the mortifying. Let's just define what it is and we'll be finished. Now the modern, the modern world, when you say, oh, I was, I was so mortified, what does that mean? I was embarrassed, you know. Oh, I just wanted to die. I wanted to crawl under a rock. So that's what the modern sense of the word is, but it's not the biblical sense. The biblical sense has three things to it, all right? You ready? Number one, it means to render lifeless. In other words, to let something die. The Bible, uh, go to Colossians, Colossians. Chapter 3, and um, Pat, you, did you already read? You haven't read yet. All right, Pat, if you wouldn't mind reading uh, verse 8. Wow. All right. So mortification means to put off something. It means to ignore. Your phone rings in church, what should you do? Ignore it. Amen. A thought comes through your head, and you start thinking about what you're going to do later on in the evening. What should you do while preaching's going on? Ignore it. You put it off. That's mortifying. It means to render it not there. Render it lifeless. Starve it. You have a friend that constantly texts you and constantly is trying to talk to you, constantly trying to get your attention, and you ignore them. What are you hoping for? They'll leave you alone. You're not feeding them. You're not saying, oh, I miss you. Oh, yeah, just as soon as church is over, I'll, I'll get with you. No, you're feeding that relationship that is pulling you away from God. To mortify means you let them die. Oh, they won't like me. They might not like my Facebook. If I don't text them back, let them die. It means to starve. It means to allow to decay and to die. As a matter of fact, it means to treat something like it's already dead. All right? So uh, to mortify, first off, is where you render something lifeless. You let it die. All right? Um, it's like, like it is with, with plants. I was telling you about plants in our house. You know, every couple of weeks, Needle will say, quickly, go water all the plants, because we forget about watering the plants. <laughs> but if we ignored the plants and didn't feed them, didn't water them, what will happen with the plants? They will die. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if I did that with my inordinate affections, with my bad attitudes, with my wrong words? If I just didn't feed it. Sometimes you'll sit in front of the television and you'll spend an hour watching bad news all evening, and then you'll get up and you'll bite the head off of the cat. Now, that's okay. Bite the head off of the dog is not okay. You'll just carry that bitter anger because it's been feeding, it's being fed in you. You need to mortify and say, well, I'm not going to watch the news for another week. I want to take a break because it's just turning me down, turning me off. So biblically, it begins with letting something die. Secondly, it, when things don't die, then you put them to death. To forcibly crucify. To forcibly leave something behind so that it does die. And it, it'll be when you don't want to. It's like you want to keep something. You want to hold on to it. You want to treasure it because it's always been with you. It's always how you have been. It's your identity. I mean, here comes somebody, and they come into church, and they get saved. But they got five different earrings on this side. And they're thinking about getting a, a, a tattoo of, of uh, Mother Teresa over here or whatever. And they realize, you know what? I don't think that's right. I don't think Jesus would go around with five earrings and, and uh, a mohawk and and uh, pink hair and tattoos all over them. So I'm just going to stop. I'm going to mortify it. But you know what that means? You have to say, that was my identity. That's how I used to want to be seen. I don't want to be seen that way anymore. I want my new man to be seen. So there is a time where you sort of just ignore some things and let them die. There's another time where you say, right, I'm going to kill this desire to be somebody. And I'll just take second place. I'll take last place. Uh, how many know what it means to put down? Maybe a rabid dog. What does it mean to put down something? You've got to kill it. Why would you ever want to do that? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a creature God created. If it's rabid, if it is attacking, what do you have to do with it? You have to put it down. If you've got a tongue that is cutting down people, if you've got a tongue that is tearing down people, if you've got a heart that has no desire to ever encourage, you better cut that thing down. You better put it down. You're going, God can't kill it until he's given the authority to reach into your heart and slay it. But you've got to want to. You've got to say, Lord, mortify this thing in me. I have a sharp tongue. I, have a, I don't know how to edify I only know how to tear people down. You need to pray and say, God, put that down. I, what, did, what did God do to, to uh, Zacharias when he wouldn't believe that his wife was going to get pregnant and have a baby? What did God do? Shut his mouth, amen? Maybe we need to pray for some shut mouths. If our mouths are only swords and spears, we need to pray, God, take my voice away so I learn to keep my mouth shut. That's called mortification. To put to death something when it won't die on its own. And there's one more. One more. It's to bury it. You see, what happens is we still carry the old times, the old past. We still remember the good old days where we just, man, I was with the girls. Oh, man, the drink was flowing. Oh, I had the money. Oh, I was living in luxury. And you keep that good memory. You know what you need to do? You need to bury it because it ain't good. It's, it, you may have thought it was good then, but it was sending you to the devil's hell. And the Christian, part of the mortification process is to take what you used to love, put it to death, bury it, don't stay at the graveside, move on. Move on, man. Um, uh, you've got memories that keep coming up. Maybe it's the past that keeps pulling you down. Maybe it keeps discouraging you. You need to say, God mortify the pain of that memory so that I don't feel the pain anymore, so that I don't keep going back to the old memory, so I don't keep letting it have dominion over me. That's mortification. And by the way, this is how the Christian deals with the old me. How many of you live in the flesh? Let me see. How many of you live in the flesh? Every, half the time? All the time. <laughs> I'm afraid, girl, if you're ever out of the flesh... <laughs> You'll be in heaven, amen. You, you can't kill me. You can't kill the old me. You're stuck with the old me. Does that make sense? But you can mortify the parts of the old you 
that are not like Christ. The attitudes, the feelings, the memories, the habits need to die. You know, you can kill off thoughts before they become words. You start to think something, you go, I'm not saying that. Boy, will I get in trouble if I say that. Amen. Every kid, every teenager needs to learn that. Amen. I cannot say what I want to say to mom. I cannot say what I want to say to dad. You can kill that word before, that thought before it becomes a word. And you can stop words before they become actions. You can do that. It's called mortification. And you can bury your old habits and put some behind you. Put the memories and put the scars under the power of the blood of Christ. You're in Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Paul, Colossians 1, 14, and then read verse 20 as well. Colossians 1, 14 and 20. And 20, please. Amen. By him. So God is able, just by the blood of his son, to reconcile, fix everything. Isn't that awesome? So, uh, uh, Christian deals with the old you and the old me by keeping me under the blood simple terms. And you do it through the Spirit. Back to Romans chapter 8. Nathan, chapter Romans 8, 13. We're wrapping this up. <clears throat> I know I had your new man's attention about 20 minutes ago, but now the old man's back in charge. <laughs> it's sad. I, 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 it's over. I took as much as I can. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Nathan, please. through the Spirit. So I have, the uh, Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, and bringing into subjection and into obedience every thought, or, uh, into subjection every thought to the obedience to Christ. How do I do that, Nathan? By the Holy Spirit. I've got, and you've got, and we've all got uh, fortresses the devil has set up in our mind of how we think. How we react. How do I tear that down? Through the Spirit. I do it because the Holy Spirit comes through my life and softly says, this has got to go. And we don't even hear him. He says, I'll help you get rid of it if you'll stop holding on to it, Ledbetter. If you'll stop trying to get your way, trying to push your point, trying to hold your, 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 your position, just let me take it away. You do it as a Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit just... It, it just goes. And you choose, I guess I just, I didn't need that thing, and I don't even miss it. Uh, ultimately, you want to learn how to reckon yourself to be dead. We read that this morning. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. There's another time where the word there in, Ro in Romans chapter 6 says you need to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Where, where that magnet starts pulling and you just ignore it, and you're just, you're dead to it. You're not interested in it more. It's called the crucified life. Two more verses. Galatians, uh, when, um, Wendy, Marianne, Galatians 2.20. And 6.14, please. Galatians 2.20 and 6.14. So before you go to the next verse, chapter 6, is Paul still in the flesh in that verse? Yes. But the life he lives now, he lives not even by his own faith, but he lives by the faith of the Son of God. So he's still got the flesh. Romans says that flesh still wants to sin. That flesh still gives in to sin. But he lives what kind of a life? The crucified life. Chapter 6 and verse 14. Gavin, you and him are going to be a duo. 
Sorry, sorry, Marianne. Fantastic, fantastic. That's the Christian life. I, I died to the world. I'm not important to the world anymore. You know, when you get saved, everybody looks at you and goes, walks away from you. You're not important anymore. And you know what? The world's not important to you anymore either when you get saved. All right, so next week I'm going to talk about the process. You've got a problem here. How do you mortify it? How do you replace it? Uh, before that, four questions. I think there are four. Number one, what is our old nature? It's not just sin. It's what you are naturally. Without God, it's what you just are. That is the, that's the old nature. That's the old man. It's what you do naturally. If, if when you get in the house and you... Some people, they get in the house and the first thing they do, they kick their shoes all the way across the room. You ever seen anybody like that? They've done that ever since they were a kid. Anybody else do that? That's your nature. It's not evil, but that's you, Okay? Now, there are other aspects of what you do naturally that are wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, secondly, second question. What extraordinary thing does God ask believers to do? Huh? Mortify the things in their life that are dead or are dying. They are not like Christ. Third, it is accomplished by yielding to who? The Holy Spirit. It'd be nice if Jesus would show up and he sort of just put his arm around you and he'd just reach down and he'd guide your hands away from that pack of cigarettes and guide your eyes away from that television program. It'd be nice if the Lord just sort of physically... But he doesn't do that. As the Holy Spirit, he comes along and he whispers. He says, let's go this way. Turn that off. Spend time with me. Say this. Don't say that. And we, it's, pro, it's accomplished by yielding and obeying that. Fourth, last question. What kind of life will we call to live? A victorious Christian life, right? I, I want to live the victorious Christian life. But I've got to begin with the crucified life. Father, thank you for these thoughts and this challenge. It's not going to be easy because it is, it is not in our nature to want to cut out anything. If sin wasn't pleasant, if sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't want to do it. But it is very pleasant. It is, it's just like us, our old man. But you are so different, so much more wonderful. I pray that we would hate and forsake what we are so that we can become like who Jesus is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.